They are so even on total strikes at the moment. Jump, spinning, back kick. Welcome everyone to episode 11 of I Know Nothing About MMA. Today on the show we're going to be talking about the Corey Sandhagen versus Marlon Marias card. But more importantly, as you just heard, we're going to be looking at that knockout by Joaquin Buckley. Yes, that is the big story coming out of this card. Is it the best knockout in UFC history? We'll also look at Corey Sandhagen's win, what makes him such a special fighter in my opinion. Also going to be looking at Edson Barbosa. he picked up a win against Amir Khani. And also a little bit of news on Tom Aspinall, he was also on the card, he dominated his opponent, Alan Baldo, the Frenchman. And lastly, we'll look at Bellator Paris, and my complaints about Bellator Paris every single time. Bellator in general, basically. Every time I have complaints about these guys. Anyway, just a bit of housekeeping. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, make sure you give this five stars. Come on. Come on, guys. And also, if you have any inquiries, any questions you want to ask for the podcast, email me at iknownothingaboutmma at gmail.com. I will respond on the podcast. Also, if you want to do the same thing on Twitter, if you want to DM me, ask me a question, I'll leave my handle in the description of this podcast. You'll be able to find it. Trust me. Or type in I know nothing about MMA on Twitter. I will be there. Anyway, let's get on to the show. It's time! Okay, and let's do something a little different today. Let's start off where everyone's starting off. Let's talk about Joaquin Buckley's knockout. He knocked out Kyong Song in a preliminary fight, I'll be honest. I do not know Kyong Song, but this was a middleweight and he's a big guy. A very big guy, actually. Can't believe he gets the middleweight. Did you see the size of the guy? But anyway, let's talk about the exciting part. Let's talk about the knockout. This was like a WWE knockout. If you remember Jeff Hardy, a guy would catch his kick and then with the other leg, he'd do exactly what Joaquin Buckley did 
And, you know, it just, it just reminded me of the WWE. Some people would say it reminds you of Tekken. I never played Tekken. I did see a little video clip. It looked very similar. This was a really crazy knockout. But the big question coming out of this is, is it the best knockout of all time? That's what some people are saying. Not of all time, but is it the best knockout in UFC history? And I would say, for it to be the best knockout in UFC history, two criterias need to be filled. It firstly has to be a good knockout, an exciting knockout, and also be contextually important and have a broader significance on the future, whether it be a really big fight, a really big moment... And the knockouts that come to mind when I think about the best knockouts in UFC history are knockouts like Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. Because not only was that a spectacular knockout, definitely was a spectacular knockout, there was so much hype around that fight, if you remember. I think it happened on the UFC 239 card, and John Jones versus Tiago Santos was on that card. And for a lot of people, me included, the Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren fight, with Ben Askren being undefeated, Jorge Masvidal going through that huge character shift, being Street Jesus, three-piece and a soda, yada, yada, yada. This was the most hyped fight of the night, even more so than a title fight. And I think that's why the knockout itself, when Jorge Masvidal did that incredible, spectacular knockout, had so much weight to it as well. Because people were so excited for this fight and they couldn't believe it ended like that. I mean, I think most people thought Ben Askren would have a tough night because he really is only just a, a wrestler. He doesn't have anything else in the back pocket. Hoy Masvidal's a very dynamic striker. And yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think a lot of people clued into that already. Another knockout, which I would think is the best knockout of all time, is Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo. Again, a fight that had so much hype. A fight that was like a year in the making. It was postponed. You had Jose Aldo, one of the best featherweights in MMA history, pretty much. Undefeated for a decade. Defeated all comers in the UFC featherweight division. And Conor McGregor knocked him out in 12 seconds. An incredible end to a really incredible build-up. And that's what I mean when I talk about the best knockouts of all time. Yes, yes, Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman won. That's another incredible knockout because at the time, people thought Anderson Silva was Teflon. This guy, Weidman's going to get knocked out. He's going to get beaten. All this, rah, rah, rah. Silva's doing this little funny mocking, his taunting, and he gets knocked out on the back of it. Another really spectacular knockout. Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. These types of knockouts. In my opinion, these types of knockouts are the best in UFC history because they fulfill two criterias. Spectacular knockouts and has a broader contextual importance as well. A broader significance. I could not tell you this Joaquin Buckley, even though technically maybe it is the best knockout of all time when you look at it. But you have to look at that fight, the Joaquin Buckley fight, in a vacuum. And in reality, 
fights are not fought in a vacuum. That's what I would say. But because this Joaquin Buckley fight occurred during a prelim of a fight night card, a good fight night card, but not a fight night card a lot of people would be watching, like the Kobe Covington one, perhaps like the one coming up this week, the Korean Zombie, Brian Ortega card. I don't, you know, that's not really a really big card that, you know, has broader appeal. It has appeal in the MMA community, but not broader appeal like some do, like, again, like like the Colby Covington card because of the hoopla that came with it. But because this was on a prelim, because this was a fight no one was really interested in and because it kind of, again, happened in a vacuum, I wouldn't call it the best knockout of all time. Was it technically the best knockout of all time? I guess so. I guess you could even say another man who fought on this card, the Edson Barboza knockout of Tori Edom, was just as impressive. But yes, this was a spectacular knockout. I'm a big fan of Joaquin Buckley. However, I think it's not right to call this the best knockout in UFC history. Again, you have Anderson Silva, who I mentioned previously. However, he's on the right side of the knockout when he fought Vitor Belfort and knocked him out with a front kick in a UFC title fight. To me, that is better. That It means more that the stakes are on the line. The pressure is so on and you deliver in that moment. To me, that's far more impressive than what Joaquin Buckley did. And that's not to take away the shine of what Joaquin Buckley did because Joaquin Buckley is the star of the week. He is the guy. And he is who was starting the show off on a prelim fight. So, hey, obviously he did something right and sure he did do something right. It was a wonderful knockout, but the best knockout in UFC history, and by the way, I'm not saying best knockout in MMA history. I think it's important to clarify and distinguish between the two, UFC and MMA. I haven't seen every single MMA fight in history. I haven't even seen every UFC fight in history, but I think it's only fair to talk about this in the context of UFC. But what a knockout. What a win for Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley was coming off that loss to Kevin Holland, who was also a very tough fighter, and he fought well in that fight as well against Kevin Holland. So it's great that he's coming off a loss and he's doing something like that. However, let's hold our horses. Let's not call this the best knockout in UFC history. If this was for the middleweight championship of the world, Yes, this probably would be the best knockout in UFC history, in my opinion. Because the stakes are higher, the pressure's on, all these types of things. This is not exactly a moment. This is a highlight reel knockout. They're going to be using this in promotional material for years to come, just like the Edson Barbosa Terry Edom knockout. But really, there's no uh, broader implications for this knockout. There's no story coming out of this knockout. There's no narrative... And for me personally, that's what I really like about uh, fighting and sports in general, are the narratives, the stories. So I would say, again, this happened in a vacuum, and I wouldn't say it's the best knockout in UFC history, but was it amazing? Yes, 
The technique that you used, obviously you said you drilled it, but I mean, to to let that go in a fight, I mean, what, what's going through your head? Is that, did, were you consciously thinking of anything? Yeah, I was conscious of it because he caught my foot the first time, you know what I mean? But I was just hesitant then just to throw it. But the second time, I said, why not? You know what I'm saying? And when I threw it, I connected. I just didn't know I knocked him out until I seen his body go stiff. And I was just like, yeah, that's game over. That's match. <laughs> All right, and let's give it up now for Corey Sandhagen. He won in the main event against Marlon Marias. He knocked him out in the first round with a spinning back kick. The second of the night. This one happened in the main event. It was not as spectacular. However, if the Joaquin Buckley knockout didn't happen, I'm sure we'd be talking about this one with great excitement. But obviously, the Joaquin Buckley knockout happened. So... He's not even the first person we're going to talk about, even though it was a Corey Sandhagen card. So he beats Marlon Marias. And what I find really interesting about the bantamweight division is this little triangle they have going on at the moment. Marlon Marias beats Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling beats Corey Sandhagen. And now Corey Sandhagen beats Marlon Marias. How cool is that? little triangle going on. Will it make a difference to the champion Petrian? I don't know. I really think that's a really good champion. A champion we'll be seeing a lot of with the belt for a little while to come, in my opinion. But what I want to talk about with Corey Sandhagen, why I like Corey Sandhagen so much, is the mentality of Corey Sandhagen. How seriously he takes fighting, and not just fighting, but the psychological side of fighting as well. He spoke this past week about how he retains the services of a sports psychologist, which in my opinion is very important. He said he's been using a sports psychologist for a lot of his career. And especially in fighting, that's something that's not really talked about. Using a sports psychologist, it's kind of a macho culture, you know, hey, I can do this all by myself kind of thing. Even, you know, they have a camp, a gym and you know, but that's something, in my opinion, that hasn't been touched on that much by fighters is using things like a sports psychologist to get them to mentally be on top of their game as well. And yes, some fighters don't need a sports psychologist. This is a very egotistical sport. They don't think they need a sports psychologist. But I really believe that the psychological side, as I said, is just as important as the fighting side, in my opinion. Some fights occur not when the first bell rings, not when the referee, like John McCarthy, says, Let's get it all! But I believe it begins the week before the fight, when they have to do their media obligations, where you have the face-off, where you do your interviews, all these types of things. I don't know if you guys watch football, but a very famous manager, and yes, I'm talking about soccer for you Americans, But a very famous manager who coaches in England, Jose Mourinho, says, A game of football does not start when kickoff happens. I'm paraphrasing badly here. But the game starts at the pre-match press conference. It's time for a bit of mind games. And I really believe that part of the game is overlooked. And I was reading an article that Corey Sandhagen did with his university newspaper 
he did a little interview with them. I forget the uh, university he's from, but the interviewer paraphrased something he said, and I thought it was really interesting. He said, there tends to be a macho man culture among fighters that make them too tough to see sports psychologists. Like I said, being able to control the mind and deal with situations on the fly is a major part of my fighting style. Sandhagen really stressed that the mental side of fighting is of great importance to him. Sounds like I'm just ripping that off, but no, that's really how I feel. And I'm glad Corey Sandhagen feels the exact same way. Talking about another sport now, when Tiger Woods was very young, when he was an amateur, and this isn't just Tiger Woods, a lot of amateur golfers who tend to go professional, who have hopes to go professional, instead of having a normal caddy, someone who can tell them the layout of the course, which shot they should use, hey, maybe you should use this club, rah, rah, rah. What they usually do is have a sports psychologist because in a game like golf, the psychological side is just as important because you're playing really against yourself. Yes, you are in a competition with other people, but only you can control how well you play. And it's the same as in fighting. Only you, the fighter, can control how well you fight, how well you impose yourself, not to get lost in the moment. We have fighters like Cowboy Cerrone, who he says, when the lights get too bright, I can't do it anymore. I can't fight. And something like a sports psychologist would really help the guy. And Corey Sandhagen is coming off a bad loss, the aforementioned loss to... Aljamain Sterling, he was submitted in the first round. He said it was a quite embarrassing performance. I mean, Aljamain Sterling is a great fighter, so it wasn't so embarrassing. But for him to come back after that performance and knock out Marlon Marias, someone who's coming off a win against Jose Aldo, yes, a contentious win, someone who just fought for the title against Henry Cejudo, that's a really big deal and it really shows you, again, the mentality of the guy. And at the highest level in sports, at the highest level in fighting, whether it be golf, whether it be tennis, whether, yeah, whether it be MMA, the psychological side is of more importance because when you're at that level, when you're at the upper echelon of the UFC... Everyone is a good fighter, right? Everyone's a good fighter. But not every fighter can show up on the night. And that's what fighters need to understand. So I really appreciate Corey Sandhagen for talking so openly about the use of a sports psychologist, why it helps his game. Because, in my opinion, it definitely does help his game. And you can see that he's a very intelligent guy. He thinks very cogently. And there's this notion in fighting, boxing, MMA, that this is a tough man sport. This is brawns, no brains. Even as Mike Tyson said, who was the most uh, quote-unquote savage fighter of his time, a huge puncher, he even says, this is a thinking man's game. This is not a tough man sport. If you try to be a tough guy, you're going to get knocked out. You're going to get seriously hurt. 
This is a thinking man's game. Uh, going into that fight, I was really uh, calm, you know, like uh, uh, much more calm than I than I typically am going into a fight and uh, in sports psychology, because I think, as you know, I've been, I've been using one for uh, quite some time now, but it's called the arousal continuum. So it's just a bell grape bell uh bell-shaped curve where uh you know in the middle that's where you perform the best if you're too far on the right and you're too aroused you don't do well if you're too far on the left and you're not awake enough then you don't do well so everyone's everyone's middle line is different you know some people have to compete and perform well at a really high arousal level some people have to be more calm uh and I thought that I had a good understanding of where I needed to be, but uh, I didn't, you know, and um, when you're going into something as intense as a, as a fist fight, you, you have to match that intensity inside of your brain. And uh, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't matching that intensity and that led to a number of technical errors. And, and it led to me kind of like that, that whole feeling of when you hear fighters say like, ah, I felt like I wasn't there or it felt like, everything was weird or blah, blah, blah. You know, like I, I experienced that firsthand and uh, it was just a matter of me not getting myself to a level of intensity that you need to be at when, when you go and fight. So I've addressed it. I've worked on it a lot since then. And, uh, and, and I'm excited for it to hopefully never happen again. All right. And let's give some love to Edson Barboza, the UFC featherweight. He beat Makwan Amikani on the broadcast they were doing the whole striker versus grappler and I don't think uh, Amikani is that much of a, a dominant grappler per se but you know hey when you have uh, lemons let's make it into lemonade and in my opinion this was a, a pretty boring fight I'm not going to really talk about the fight because in about a month's time a week's time I don't think any of us are going to be talking about that Edson Barbosa versus Amiakani fight. It was a decision victory for Edson Barbosa, a clear decision victory for him. The second round was a 10-8 for Edson Barbosa. But I think the real story coming out of this fight is how Edson Barbosa is going in the UFC. This was only his second win in the last seven fights. And... When I say that, you'll think, oh my god, that's a horrendous record. And yes, it's not a good record, that's for sure. But we have to think about the quality of fighters he's been fighting on this run. His losses have been against Dan Ige, which was his debut at featherweight. And a lot of people thought that was a contentious decision. A lot of people thought Edson Barboza won that fight. It was a split decision victory for Dan Ige. He then fought Paul Felder on the Abu Dhabi card, the same card Habib fought Dustin Poirier, uh, Dustin Poirier rather, on. And he got a split decision loss in that fight as well. Although I think Paul Felder did win that fight. But again, a close fight. He's a good guy. I'm not going to say Dan Ige is an amazing fighter. I think he's a good fighter. He's not a, a top, top guy. In my opinion, Paul Felder is a better fighter. Yes, he got a split decision loss here. Then, he loses to Justin Gaethje, gets knocked out. No shame in that. Justin Gaethje is currently the number one contender for Habib's lightweight championship, and that fight will happen later this month. Then he loses to Kevin Lee, 
Kevin Lee is a very inconsistent fighter. But on his day, Kevin Lee is a great fighter. A really great fighter. And then to cap it off, he loses to Habib Namegamadov. Probably the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. Maybe one of the best fighters in MMA history of all time in this short sport. And his wins in this run have been against Amir Khani and also against Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker is a really good fighter. A really good fighter. And not only did he beat Dan Hooker, but he beat the piss out of Dan Hooker. Shout out to Dan Hooker. He's not from where I live, but he's across the Tasman in New Zealand. He is a great fighter. He's angling for that Nate Diaz fight. But it just goes to show you that these records at times, especially in MMA, they don't really matter and they don't tell the full story. People are saying that Edson Barboza was washed before this. No, if you look at the competition he's fought, he's not washed. And, yes, he did take damage in the Justin Gaethje, <laughs> Kevin Lee, and Habib fight. But they're three great guys, man. They're three great fighters. And, of course, Edson Barboza had defeated Paul Felder previously and more clearly in the past. So Paul Felder was getting his win back when he beat Edson Barbosa. And I'm really happy that Edson Barbosa has decided to cut down to 145. This was his second fight at 145. And I think maybe he could make some waves in this division. I'm not saying you'll be champion. I don't think you'll be champion. But I really like him now with featherweight as opposed to lightweight. He's been beaten by... Two top guys at lightweight, convincingly beaten. And hey, I just want to see him at featherweight. Again, this was a boring fight in my opinion. Honestly, like, I don't know what else to say about this fight. I mean, Edson Barboza did what he had to do. But, you know, I'm not exactly, you know, clamoring to watch this fight again. You know, it's not the main story. In my opinion, the main story of this fight is Edson Barboza's record and how deceiving it is. And now he's actually a really good fighter, despite only winning two of his last seven fights. When you look at the people he's fought, Dan Ige, Paul Felder, Justin Gaethje, Kevin Lee, Habib, Dan Hooker, now Amir Khani. So it'll be really interesting to see where Edson Barboza goes next, who he gets matched up with next at featherweight. I don't know who'd get matched up next at featherweight. Maybe be a top 10 guy in the fraudulent rankings. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But uh, hey, it was good to see Edson Barboza get back in the win column in a pretty boring fight. Talk to me about this process of you cutting down to 145 and, and what you expect from the future in this weight class. I want to be a champ. I'm here to be a champ. Guys, I'm ready to be a champ. Please, give me a top five, top six, whatever. I'm ready. All right. Let's give some love to Tom Aspinall. This was his second fight in the UFC. He is from Salford. He's not from Liverpool, guys. Just because he trains out of Liverpool doesn't mean he's a Liverpool lad. Just because he's friends with Darren Till doesn't mean he's a Liverpool lad. You heard the guy speak. He does not speak in a Liverpudlian accent. It's not scouse. It ain't, all right, mate. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> I tried. 
So watch Steven Gerrard. Couldn't do it. I just tried to do a Liverpool accent. It was not that. No, he's a Mancunian, essentially. He's from Salford, which is kind of a little outside Manchester, I'm pretty sure. He is a very good boxer. I don't think I'm mistaken when I say he originally planned to be a boxer, and now he is doing MMA. I could be mistaken, though. He sparred with the WBC and ring heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. Too Fast, Too Furious. And that is his biggest strength in the octagon. Of course, in this fight against Alan Bodeau, Baldo, he won with a ground and pound stoppage. He took Baldo down, got him in mount and just finished him. It was very quick, very easy. But what makes Tom Aspinall a good prospect in the heavyweight division is that it appears... He has better boxing than most people in MMA. Most people in the heavyweight division. Obviously, we have Junior Dos Santos. He is quite old, though. Very good boxer, but he is quite old. And yes, I mean, can you say more than that? He is a very old man at this point. And in my opinion, that is the skill set in MMA that is clearly lacking, is really good boxing. I suppose if you had really good boxing to begin with, you might as well become a boxer. The best boxer in MMA, in my opinion, is Conor McGregor. He's too good. He's too sharp. He also planned to be a boxer before he was an MMA fighter. Maybe like Tom Aspinall. Don't have confirmation on that. I'm not too sure about that, but that's the way it seems, right? That is the way it seems. So that is the advantage that Tom Aspinall has over the heavyweight division is that he is a very, very good boxer. Technically, a very good boxer. He says he wants to take things nice and slow. But why I'm talking about Tom Aspinall is that I would love to see this fight. Tom Aspinall versus Chris Dowhouse. Or Dowhouse, or something like that. He's the cop. He's the big... uh, He looks a bit flabby. And he knocked his guy out in the prelims. The big Brazilian bastard. You know, the big fat Brazilian. He was a fat guy, that guy. He cuts down to 265. And that's the fight I want to see. I think that's the best fight for these two guys. Tom Aspinall has a little bit of hype around him. People think he's from Liverpool. (laughs) That's funny. If you hear the guy speak, you're like, that guy's not from Liverpool. But Chris Dowkhouse, or Chris Dowkhouse, man, I forget the guys. You know, it's it's like, I'll just call him Chris, right? The cop. He's a police officer in his spare time. I think that's the best fight for Tom Aspinall and for Chris. It would be a real measuring stick for both guys. I don't understand why they don't want to put this fight on. Tom Aspinall says, yes, he wants to fight Sergei Spivak, who we we originally were supposed to fight in the first place. However, that fight got cancelled. But I just really would like to see that fight. That's the only reason why I'm talking about this right now. Because I would really love to see Tom Aspinall and the cop Chris (laughs) Dowkhouse. I think that's his name. Good fighter, that Chris. He knocks his guys out. He knocks them out easy. He fought uh, something like Ross Porter, I think, the last time out. Sparked him. Big, fat heavyweight. And I would really like to see that fight. And a PSA, one more time. This guy is not from Liverpool. Yes, he is Darren Till's friend. But he is a Mancunian. He is from Salford. There's a hatred for Scousers in this city. My United are just dirty, horrible, mank, union bastards. There is-
there's nothing better than being number one. For the first time in mixed martial arts history, a major organization will hold an event in the country of France. We are in Paris, and this is going to be an occasion that many will never forget. All right, let's talk about Bellator Paris. This was the first Bellator show in Paris, really the first, I shouldn't even say that, it was the first MMA show in Paris, first MMA show in France, I should say, the country, not even the city, but Bellator put their flag down in the French MMA scene with this strange collection of events on the same night. And what I mean is they had two events on one night running concurrently i mean they were they were running together as if it was one show however it was two shows and this wouldn't be a problem if you could watch both shows on the same platform if you could watch it on bbc if you could watch it on cbs maybe youtube but no you had to watch one event on youtube and then one event on CBS or BBC. What? And not only that, but you watched the CBS BBC show slash DAZN, DAZN also, you watched that before the YouTube one. So they had, no, I'm wrong here. They had the YouTube prelims, then they had the actual Bellator 248 card, their pay-per-view style card. Then they had their Fight Night equivalent card, with Tim Johnson versus Chet Congo in the legitimate main event. Of course, the Bellator 248 Khan was main evented by Michael Venom Page and Ross Houston. These fights were very boring fights. These were Bellator fights. I'm not even going to give them much time. Michael Venom Page won. Tim Johnson beat the hometown boy Chet Congo. Whatever. I mean, if you give a shit about a Czech Congo fight in 2020, I mean, hats off to you. Michael Venom Page again. Yes, he wins, but he doesn't do it spectacularly. He isn't uh, wowing people. Again, this was a boring decision. A la the Paul Daly fight. It does seem that when he's in the octagon or cage, I should call it a cage, it's not an octagon. When he's in the cage with someone who's like a, a live body, Who's willing to fight. He doesn't fight that well this guy. I do not have high hopes for Michael Venom Page being an absolute superstar in this sport. I think he has reached his ceiling already. But I really just don't get the distribution model of Bellator. The distribution strategy to have two shows on one night. Does that make sense to you? I understand it's all about cutting costs. I do understand that. But man, it's so fucking... Again, I say it all the time. It stinks of TNA, man. We got a crow just destroying it over there. It just stinks of TNA. Why don't we just have one show tonight? Because Michael Vanden Page versus Ross Houston... 
as a pay-per-view style fight. God, am I competing with a crow? Michael Venom Page versus Ross Houston is not a pay-per-view fight. No way is it a pay-per-view fight. And yes, it's on DAZN and CBS Sports, so it's not technically a pay-per-view, but the way they make it, similar to the UFC, the numbered events, which are pay-per-view, you want to, you know, psychologically, you're letting consumers down. And the Czech Congo, Tim Johnson portion of the card was a fight night equivalent, was Bellator Europeans, European series. It was the 10th iteration. I would have just made this whole card a European series fight night card. Fight card. <laughs> Shouldn't call it by the UFC name, but you understand what I mean? These numbered shows, these pay-per-view equivalent shows should be few and far between. It boggles my mind that Bellator have nearly as many pay-per-view style shows as UFC and they've been in business for maybe not even half of the time UFC have been in business for. It boggles my fucking mind. It's so wrong. But I do applaud them for doing this Paris MMA show. For doing the first show in France. This is a huge thing for MMA in Europe. So I congratulate them fully on that. And I really do believe that is where Bellator will shine. Is in the European market, in the UK market, in the Irish market. Not the American market. But yes, this was more, again, a Bellator rant. I'm sorry, Bellator. I just, yeah, I want you to do well. Don't you want to do well? Doesn't Scott Coker look at that card, that UFC, sorry, that Bellator, my bad, that Bellator card and think, oh my God, this stinks. This fucking stinks. I can't believe he comes to the decision where it's like, well, look at this card. Let's make two shows. Let's make two shows. No, let's not make two shows. Let's make one show. Preferably, let's make it not a numbered event. Let's not make it Bellator 248. Let's make it Bellator European Series. Because the card reflected the nature of, you know, like, yes, it was a significant event, but the fight card didn't reflect the significance of the event at all. So anyway, this is another Bellator rant. Shout out to Scott Coker. You'll get there soon, man. I know you'll get there. I know I'm ragging on you, but you'll get there. I know. All right, another episode of I Know Nothing About MMA in the Can. That was episode 11. Thank you so much, guys, for listening, whether you're listening in the morning, afternoon, night, whenever you listen. This is DC. I'll leave it short and sweet. Have a good one, guys. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.